going to start a new book today, Lamentations chapter 1, The Country That Was Once Great Has Fallen. Uh, this book is a eulogy or a sad poem that is something that you would see read at a funeral. Okay, um, it, is a, it is a funeral eulogy or it is a... It would be done, well, this book basically is a eulogy for the capital city of God's people, Jerusalem. And probably the main lesson of the book is that sin brings destruction on both a personal and a national level. You can't escape it. You think you get away with it, and you might get away with it for a time, just like the Israelites did, the, the kingdom of Judah did for a time. And eventually, God's warnings of judgment will come to pass. Okay, and um, you know, throughout uh, throughout this book, we're going to see the historical fall, where it's going to be talking about the historical fall of the kingdom of Judah, and it's also a warning, I believe, for America today. Um, And you know, think about—I mean, just to recap some of the things about our nation right now. If we continue on the path, we have an opportunity right now to get us conservative Supreme Court justice to overturn uh, things like abortion, homosexual marriage, and all, and all other kinds of wickedness. If that doesn't happen, if we continue, if we're too weak to fight, we're too weak to stand up, and we want to make friends with, the, with those who hate us, um, we may lose this opportunity of national repentance and of bringing righteousness back into our land. And, uh, and this could be our fate. This, our fate could be much like we're going to read about here in the book of Lamentations. Um, this book is also about patriotism and loving your country. Uh, we're going to see the prophet mourn for his country when, when uh, things go bad. And... Um, and right now, you look at, uh, the, you know, half of our country or so actually hate our country, okay? They want it to fall. But, uh, so it is a bit, the, why bring up that point of patriotism? The prophets were patriotic. The true men of God loved their country. They loved their nation. They didn't just talk about personal salvation and what's good for you personally. They thought about the country as a whole, okay? Um, and which is interesting, you know, I'm on a little side, John, here. There's a very prominent Bible teacher named John MacArthur. And he didn't, he was kind of always most of his teaching career, if that's what you want to call it, stayed out of politics and kind of promoted, we just don't get very much involved in politics. Now, as of now, now that the, um, the government is trying to shut down his church for a fake pandemic that, you know, I say it's a fake pandemic because it's just a virus. A pandemic has to be killing like uh, two or three percent of the population. And this uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, only kills like 0.001%. So it's not a pandemic. It's a virus. Okay. Um, so anyways, the point is now that he's being, uh, now the government's trying to shut him down. He's, it seems like he's had a change of view and now he's actually seeing the importance of applying the Bible to nations because it's, it is important. Um, and he even made a comment that, you know, um, the Bible isn't just about personal salvation. But that's usually what you'll hear from churches. There's one down the road over here, many of you know. It's an evangelical funhouse. That's all they seem to talk about is what is it for you personally and stuff like that. But 
when political matters come up that are pro-leftist, they seem to jump on the bandwagon then. Black Lives Matter, yeah, black. We'll do a whole sermon about how all of you white people out there uh, are racist and you just don't know it and you should be ashamed of yourself. And, and you know, just uh, enough on that. All right, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces, how is she become tributary? In other words, you know, this word how in the Hebrew, it would sound like a cry, like kind of like a jackal crying out. It's a ka! That's what it would sound like. So he said, how did this ever happen? This, the city of Jerusalem was full of people and now it's nothing. Now it's nothing. Now you look at America today, and you know it was once a great nation, and now people can see that, yes, something could happen overnight, and all of a sudden we have no country, we have no government, we have nothing but des uh, a, a desolation. Okay, And that's what happened to the kingdom of Judah. And that's why the prophet starts out with, how in the world did this even happen? Well, I can tell you how it happened. The prophet knew how it happened. It's just surprising when God's judgment finally comes because we get away with stuff for so long before he actually brings it. Because the prophet, the other prophets, uh, such as Jeremiah, well, this is Je probably Jeremiah that wrote it, but other prophets, uh, Isaiah, um, Ezekiel, and so forth, they all foretold of these punishments coming if the the if God's people did not repent of their national sins. And they said, "Hey, this is going to happen." And people laughed at him and said, "No, it'll never happen." And in fact, some of the prophets were even uh, killed by rulers because they didn't want to hear negative things that were going to come upon the country. We don't want to hear that. Shut this idiot up. You know, uh, let's not uh, talk about bad things that'll never we're a great country. It'll never happen to us. That's what the children of Judah thought, and, um, and this is what happened. All right? Um, verse 2, She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Talking about the city here. Um, Among her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Okay, So she was so busy in her glory years flirting with all of the, all of the neighbors that surrounded her and committing idolatry. Okay, on the physical sense, this would be a woman that was committing adultery, idolatry, worshiping all. You know, she saw all these other nations. They had they worshipped their pagan gods and 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 the Israelites. You know, the she, the city. They thought, oh, I want to participate in that. That looks like fun. That looks like a lot of fun. So then uh, she started uh, making uh, lovers with all of those uh, people around, participating in idolatry with them. And now, at the moment of her destruction, none of her lovers care one bit about her. Now think about this. President Trump even talks about this, uh, about all of these countries that have taken advantage of us economically. All of our so-called allies that we are that we were paying the bills for, um, even NATO, our NATO allies, uh, and so forth. These people that were supposed to be our friends, um, not to mention China, what we just gave away. I mean, we totally sold our bodies, in a sense, to the Chinese. Totally just said, hey, we'll just give you whatever you want. We just love this. 
China doesn't care about us. Now look what they gave us. They gave us COVID-19, okay? Which again, you know, whatever, we'll talk about it. But they gave us the, China, uh, the Wuhan virus on purpose, okay? Our lovers, these other countries, these people that we've been buying and paying off for their love and friendship will care nothing for us on the day of our doom if that's who we're trusting in, okay? We should be trusting, if we put our trust in God, who cares about trying to make lovers with these other nations and these other people? Who cares about trying to pacify them? Because if we trust in God and we're obedient to God, we will always have the victory. Um, but if you take this on a personal level, think about this. Someone who lives it up in a life full of sin is one day going to be sitting there weeping at the bottom of the gutter somewhere at some point in their life when tragedy strikes. If they want to have a bunch of, uh, you know, fornicate with a bunch of lovers and so forth, eventually they're going to be left there with no joy, nobody there for them, and uh, nothing but misery. That's where sin leads. Um, Verse 3, Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. And because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. Now think about this. You know, she, she's going into captivity. She's good. She was a great nation. Now, now she's going to become a slave to other people. A slave to her lovers, even the heathen, that don't really love her. They just use her for, for what they can get from her. Um, and I wrote this quote on... Um, on uh, I, I came up with this quote and I, I posted it on Facebook this week. Um, after forsaking God to become enamored by sinful, the sinful idolatry of pop culture, we're now beginning to understand the hateful and destructive nature of pop culture as it seeks the total destruction, not just of the souls of our children, but of America itself by glorifying and empowering demonic groups like Black Lives Matter. Amazingly, they've made it cool to destroy yourself and the country you live in, and ignorant, self-gratifying fools fall for it. Forsake Babylon and live. Okay, the point is, look at all this heathenism that America has allowed in, you know, the pop culture, the rap culture, and, uh, you know, everybody thought it was cool, it sounds good, you know, and they get the sensualism into it and all that. And, and then what is that same movement, that same heathenistic movement due to, a, to our country, now it's already captivated everybody, it's used everybody, it's made them into demoralized, immoral um, uh, pieces of flesh, you know, dead pieces of flesh, now it seeks to totally destroy our country, okay? So th that's, that's, that's Satan for you. Um, he, w he just seeks to destroy, okay? So eventually, I mean, think about that. You look at, like I mentioned in that quote there, I mean, the pop culture, the cool culture, we know it, people just follow Black Lives Matter because their favorite hip-hop artist sing, uh, is supporting them or their favorite actor or whatever. Um, that is uh, the problem. And you think about this. The reason why the kingdom of Judah fell wasn't necessarily just because of the political leaders. It was because of the culture. The culture was full of wickedness. Um, and uh, let's continue on. Verse 4. The ways of Zion do mourn. 
because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh and her virgins are afflicted and she is in bitterness. Okay. Now this, now it was about the year 600 BC when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And that's what we're looking past. The city had been destroyed. Uh, the temple totally annihilated. And uh, the prophet's looking back and he's saying that's where the temple was. It was on Mount Zion. The ways of Zion more. Nobody comes up to the solemn feasts anymore. You know, back in the day, he's looking back at the glory days. All these travelers would come to the temple of God and everybody was smiling and full of joy with their families. And now all those roads that lead to Zion are desolate. Nobody's walking them. It's nothing but death all around. Um... The virgins are afflicted. You can, you know what that, you know what that means. Um, you know when an enemy army conquers a people, uh, they that's one of the first things they end up doing is violating uh, the women that live there, and um, very sad. Verse five: Her adversaries are the chief; her enemies prosper. We wonder why does Black Lives Matter and Antifa and these liberals get away with what they're doing? Why is this happening? It's foretold right here. The adversaries are the chief. They're, they're in all these positions of power and, the, the, and they prosper. Why? Why is this happening? For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. So, you know, we could actually blame this all entirely on Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and the heathen. But really, why is God allowing the heathen to conquer us? Because of our transgressions. You know, interestingly, um, and, and I'm, a, I'm a fan of sports. I'm a, I'm a fan that, uh, uh, you know, I'm a proponent of youth sports and the lessons that it teaches. But how interesting is it that, um, uh, you know, like uh, football. Think about that. How many people... Have made an, had made how many uh, regular Americans? Now we're not even talking about liberals now, or leftists. How many of these regular Americans that really claim to be Christian uh, sat around and watched ESPN all weekend long and never paid attention to God's word? Now think about that. And, and it's not an accident that the very sports that were our, were the idols of so many of our our strong men, young men, and fathers is now totally contaminated and against that white man. You watch football now, and all you get is anti-white man, Black Lives Matter, white, you know, and all this. And the people that watch, the majority of the fans are white men. The majority of the fans for football are white men. And now you can't even watch that now. You know, I've, I feel that that's God's way of taking that idol away from us. Um, and if you stay in there watching that crap when they promote uh, Black Lives Matter, um, I don't see how anybody could do that now. It's, it's gone way past the line. Before it was like, well, some of those guys kneeled. I'm going to just look the other way for a little bit. Now it's like, you support that. You support, if you watch NFL football these days, you support Black Lives Matter. There's really no other way around it, in my view. Um, if somebody wants to make a case otherwise, you can make it. But uh, that's all they do. It's, all, it's on their – well, I don't know if it's on the football field, but the basketball, the NBA, has Black Lives Matter on their court. 
uh, on their, uh, putting it on, their, uh, on the actual court. Think about that. An anti-family, anti-Christian, racist, anti-white group is now celebrated. Anti-police, anti-law and order, and, uh, and so forth. Um, all right. We're only on verse 6. I better stop my ranting here. <laughs> and from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. In other words, all of her political leaders are running scared. They're no longer there. The, her beauty is, is going away. Now, you, now think about this. In Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C., on the streets, is planted, uh, a paint, they, the mayor had painted Black Lives Matter, in the very capital of our country. Now that should be that should be a wake up call to anybody. Um, you know that's not a thing of beauty. That's a thing of hatred. That's a thing of uh, contention, and um, and and so on. But you know, um, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember. I'm sure I'll remember it. Uh, verse seven, Jerusalem. Remembered in the days of her affliction and of all her miseries and her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. Her people fell into the hand of the enemy and none did help her. The adversary saw her and did mock at her Sabbaths. In other words, you know, he's kind of saying, well, remember the good old days when she had everything. And now, now she's mocked. Now, it's interesting, it says here they mocked at her Sabbaths. There are actual historical writings uh, going, I think, all the way back until this era where the enemies mocked at the Sabbaths. They, they, they wrote stuff like, they thought they were so intelligent and they're thinking, this nation is really weird. They take one day in seven off. They waste an entire day. You know, they're thinking productively like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, these people are foolish. They're idiots. They worship this this strange God, and because you know they don't understand you know the point of the Sabbath, they don't understand the uh, the point of how it actually makes you more productive. It uh, it actually uh, is obedience to God and so forth. But I thought that was interesting. They actually mocked the Sabbath day. Verse eight: Jerusalem hath grievously sinned; therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her. Because they have seen, now check this out, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Now think about that. And it's common sense. When a woman does not respect herself, she is not respect, not respected by others. When a woman is uh, promiscuous, she is not respected by men. She may get attention by men, the wrong kind of men, that are just looking for to gratify their flesh whether it's Googling or, or further. Um, you know, so she's grievously sinned and, and, and nobody honors her because they've seen her nakedness. Now you think about this. Trump talks about it all the time. We've let our allies, this is how this applies, we let our, we, we've shown our nakedness to our allies or our friends um, and even our enemies in the sense that we let people take advantage of us. We let people take advantage of us financially and or otherwise. We just, we just totally open ourselves up to the rest of the world, you know, with the NAFTA agreements, with all these other trade agreements. And do you think that gains respect from people? Do you think China 
respects us because we say we're just going to open ourselves up, look at our naked, and you can just have our whole country. Well, let's have all these trade deals. They're sitting over there thinking, this whorish woman, I'm going to use her and abuse her till I get what I want, and then she's done. That's what chi that's how China viewed us. No respect. But now Trump's trying to do the opposite. He's fighting back, trying to, to bring some dignity back and to cover our nakedness and not to make us such a loose nation. Okay, um, And that brings respect. Verse 9, her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end, therefore she came down wonderfully. She had, now check this out, she had no comforter. O Lord, behold my afflictions, for the enemy hath magnified himself. Okay, so God's people committed idolatry. They played the harlot. And the point is, where does that end? Where does all that filthiness end? Misery, no comfort. Think about somebody who's, uh, think about a woman that's been in prostitution for any amount of time or in some, some other sex industry. Uh, do you think that woman has any joy? Do you think that path is going to lead to a path of, I feel really good deep down inside, I'm, I'm a whole person? No, they always end up on drugs, broken, just suicide, just misery. Misery. Um, and that's what happens to a nation that commits idolatry. Yeah, there may be the, that there's a scripture at, uh, in the New Testament, I believe, they, that sin does bring pleasure. Not joy, pleasure for a season. It's short-lived. And then the, around the corner is destruction. Now think about, uh, I'll, put this, I'll give an example. Think about a man that goes into a prostitute. Yeah, he may get that pleasure for that, um, those few moments. But then what if he leaves and he's got AIDS or some other sexual disease? Is that really worth that? Is that going to bring joy? Um, no way. Um, so in other words, I will say this too. You know, a lot of people want all this depression that's going on today. A lot of people wonder, why, is there so, why are there so many people on antidepressants and depression? It's sin. Sin makes you depressed. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it, it, it's gonna to make you unhappy, not full of joy. And, and, and this offends many people, but a pill, there's no such thing as a happiness pill. It'll never bring you happiness. I've known a lot of people on antidepressants, and they still do not look happy to me, believe me. They still do not look happy to me. And I know people that are on some of these things, and I can actually see it in their eyes. And think about it. They're taking drugs to try to find happiness. It may be prescribed by a doctor, and they may legitimize it by saying, oh, you got a chemical imbalance, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but what causes that chemical imbalance? Sin. Sin does. Um, I dare you to find me somebody who's totally full of the Spirit of God that's living, trying to live a righteous life that's having those problems. Uh, I, you know, um, now, I'm not saying that this is 100% and that there's never a, some kind of a physical illness that affects somebody's brain. Okay? I'm not judging that way. But, I'm, but what the majority of what we see definitely is somebody trying to have a quick fix, no different than shooting cocaine or drinking off the bottle to try to find uh, happiness. Um, okay, here we go. Verse 10, And the adversary has spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things. 
For she has seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. Now, I mock these evangelical fun houses all the time, and I do it for a reason because I'm trying to jar people loose that, hey, that's not really church that you're going to there. Because why? The enemy has entered into the sanctuary. Now, some say, well, he's very nice. He can't be an enemy. He's not sitting there uh, with horns out of his head, breathing out like a fiery dragon. Okay? But that's not how Satan operates. He operates by lies and deception. So this says that the enemy, the heathen, have entered into the sanctuary. And one way you can tell that the heathen has entered into the sanctuary, that the heathen actually control that sanctuary, that church, is if that church caters to the heathen. If that church is an evangelical funhouse just trying to make a place of comfort for unsaved worldly people. That's how you know it's been taken over. Um, a church, now, should a church be self-righteous and hypocritical and not reach out to the broken and the lost? No, that's not what we're saying. But did G Jesus hang, hung out with sinners, right? But did he act like a sinner or become a sinner or participate in their sins to try to save them? No, not at all. There's a way to do it. And, but, but church in itself, so evangelists, are supposed to go out and save those broken people. The church or the sanctuary is where people go to learn how to be obedient to God. How uh, you know you're, you're not you've already been saved. Now you're learning how to walk in righteousness. You're learning how to be sanctified. How to how to live a holy life. And you can't do that if every message is salvation, salvation, or hey, I want to have some cool hip rock band for my church worship service today so I can so it looks really similar to what they're hearing out there and then they'll come in. Um, I'm not saying you have to just play an organ either. I'm not saying that. Okay. But uh, we see it today. They, they, it's just no different than the world. Verse 11. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. O Lord and uh, see, see, O oh Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Okay? The city of Jerusalem has become vile because of everything she did. Now, again, she, she, got, she got away with stuff for hundreds of years. She got away with her sins for hundreds of years until God finally let her become vile. Verse 12, Is it nothing to you all that pass by? Do you not care? This is what she's saying. Don't you care about me? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. So think about that. If this comes upon America, it's not just the fault of the heathen. Okay, It's because of our national transgressions. And it's because God is a righteous judge and he's only going to put up with this stuff for so long before his wrath kindles over and he does something about it. Okay, He's long-suffering, but it didn't say he was forever suffering in the Bible. At some point, he gets very angry and his fire comes down very fierce. Okay, so and, and I think and the reason why I'm getting excited about this right now is because we're at that point. I truly believe we're at that point in America today. It could go either way. I believe we're, the sands of time are running out 
And if, and if things don't change fast, we're going to be lamenting like the lamentations. We're going to be crying out, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? And you know what? It's, well, well, there's some verses here that talk about it. Um, it's not... Well, 13. For uh, above hath he sent fire into my bones... Okay. Now remember, Jerusalem is is being symbolized as this woman here, but um, so we can get a better picture of what happened. But we're talking about the city, and it prevaileth against them. He hath spread a net for my feet. He hath turned me back. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. Okay, this was God doing this to her. Verse fourteen: the yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are wreathed and come upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall, and the Lord delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. Okay. Now this yoke of transgressions. Now this, Jesus, uh, our God talked about this to Cain. He said, hey, if you give in to sin, sin will be your master. You're going to be a slave to sin. Um, but if you do well, if you sin not, you'll be fine, right? But uh, Jesus also said this about, uh, related to this. He says, learn the truth and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Free from sin. Sin always captivates you. It always, you will not, you can't hide things from God. You can't say, I'll just sin for a little bit and then say, I'm sorry and I'll just go away and then be better. Eventually sin catches up to you. And that's the point of this book. But if you repent, like Jesus said, and you learn the truth, the truth will break that yoke of bondage of that sin off of you, okay? Um, now, I'll say this in passing. You get to the book of Revelation, and New Jerusalem is described as being the complete opposite of this Jerusalem who, whose transgressions caught up to her. New Jerusalem is holy and righteous and pure and full of joy, and all the people rejoice there, and there's light. And so there's a contrast there. So um, now you'll understand New Jerusalem a little bit deeper when you compare and contrast it with Old Jerusalem here. Verse 15, The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. We talked about that, how men have become a bunch of wimps these days. Um, effeminate, cowardly weasels. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. Now think about this. God doing this to his own country because his own people because of what they did. Trodden, God stomping on them as though they're grapes in a, in a winepress. That's how they made wine back in the day. They had this, this big wooden, like, uh, you know, trough or whatever, and people would be in there stomping, just smacking the heck out of those grapes. This is what he says God did to them for their transgressions. Verse 16, for these things I weep. Okay, so he's, again, this is a patriotic prophet. He doesn't say, well, I don't care about the nation. The nation just just fall all around me. I just believe in personal salvation. I mean, who cares? Kingdoms rise and fall. I just care about the kingdom of God. No, for these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water because the comforter 
that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Now we talk about Jesus talks about the comforter as being the Holy Spirit. This talks about, you know, and, and we talked about depression and so forth. When you don't have the Holy Spirit or that comforter, yet you are without comfort. And obviously, again, it was sin that led up to that. Verse 17, Zion spreadeth forth her hands, and there is none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob that his adversaries should be round about him. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them, as an unclean woman, okay? Um, again, this is God that did it. And, and um, should we blame God then and say God's this mean God that a lot, like a lot of people would do? You know, and a lot of people, now good things happen to bad, or bad things happen to good people. And that's God's way of testing people or conditioning them. And it may be no sin of yours at all that that happened to you. Could be cancer, could be a death of a love. It's not always God punishing you for sin. But uh, there, there is a time where um, you're getting punished and you deserve that punishment. Okay, And this is what it, it says here, Lamentations 1 verse 18 says, The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his commandment. Here I pray you all people, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men are gone into captivity. So even though she's wailing and weeping and crying because of the misery she's in, she still says the Lord is righteous. Now this is fascinating because this actually is true repentance. When you realize that you're broken because not, it's not God's fault, um, it's because it's your fault. You've made the wrong decisions. You've made the wrong choices. You brought that upon yourself. And then you realize that I deserve these punishments. Now, when I look at America today, and I can think of a quote from even one of our founding fathers way back long ago when things weren't even near as bad as they are now. They're actually really good. He says, I tremble for my country when I realize that God is righteous. Now, um, you know, this is, uh, you look at what's going on in our country today. If God decides to end our country tomorrow, I can't put up a good argument that we deserve to be saved. I don't know if anybody can. Yeah, there are some good people here. Um, there's a, a faithful remnant. But overall, if that happened, we got nothing as a country, we got nothing to cry and complain about. We deserve it. The blood of all those innocent babies all this homosexual stuff that's going on, all this perversion. There's nothing that we could say, we didn't deserve this. God's an evil man for doing this to us. Verse 19, I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests, now think about this, your lovers. Think of, I, am, I think of these as a lot of your false prophets even today. Um, you could, the, the, these are your, the other nations that pretend to be our friends and trick us, that's true. But, but think of these uh, think of these false pastors today, how they deceive people into thinking that uh, uh, they're they're joining a house of love, you know, house of compassion. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and mine elders gave up the ghosts in the city while they sought their meat to relie relieve their souls. Now think about this. The priests, the priests and the elders 
were not still not caring about the people. They were only worried about saving their own souls during the downfall of Jerusalem. So you picture this. This physically happened to the Israelites, okay? Uh, their nation got conquered by the Babylonians, and here you have these leaders just left the people and only cared about surviving themselves. Supposed to be shepherds of the sheep, and they fleece them. Verse 20, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. Mine heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth. At home there is as death. Now, when the Babylonians sieged the city of Jerusalem, there was a period of time where they just cut off all of the supplies, all the food supplies, so the people starved to death in the city and died of various pestilences and diseases um, at, at that time. Um, so they had, they had the sword on the outside, the Babylonian army surrounding them, and just pining away in death and destruction inside the city, while the Babylonians just sat there and waited and waited while they all died. And I could even go in, into more grosser detail. The mothers actually ate their own children because they were starving to death. They killed their children and ate them so they could survive. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. All mine enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that thou hast done, that thou hast done it. Thou wilt bring the day, uh, thou wilt bring the day that thou hast called, and they shall be like unto me. So think about this. Even if America does fall, if America does fall and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all these liberal groups take over, they're going to rejoice. They're going to think this is great. We're going to be sad, right? But what they don't realize is it's coming for them next. Okay? They may have their moment of victory, perceived victory, but it will catch up to them. And it did catch up to the Babylonians. God then, uh, later on, Babylon fell. And was defeated much like the, uh, the Israelites were. Let all their wickedness come before thee, and do unto them as thou hast done unto me for all my transgressions. For my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. All right, so in conclusion, as you can probably already see, this book is very timely for what's going on today in our country and a severe stern warning for any nation that fills its land full of transgressions to the point of no return. I mean, God is long-suffering. He gives people and nations a time to repent, but there does come a time when it's too late. It's too late. God's wrath will come. Um, and and there, there, there comes a time where he must bring judgment because he is a righteous judge, okay? Uh, so my hope and prayer is that we haven't reached that time yet, and I do feel that we're very close. It's, it's uh, very, I, I don't want to use the word scary, scary for the nation because as a Christian, um, we know we're going to be okay no matter what we go through, but it's still, it's still, we're not going to just say, oh, that's not going to make me sad. Look at the prophet. The prophet was, he knows he's going to heaven. The prophet knows he's going to heaven. But he's still sad for all, for his country that it fell apart. And he's sad for all those people that were deceived. And he mourns that 
They're being, the women were ravished and the, and the young men and were, children were taken as slaves into another country. Of course he cared about that. And, uh, and, and we should as well. Uh, any questions or comments? I'm just trying to put it, put it in a timeline perspective. The Old Testament isn't my strongest suit, but uh, so this is Babylon, the Babylonians taking over Israel or Judea, or is that the same thing? Yeah, so the Syrians, so the kingdom, there was a civil war, and uh, the the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms: the northern kingdom of Judah and the southern, or the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The Israelites were taken into captivity about 150 years or so by the Assyrians. They already got the punishment, much like what we're reading about here. They were gone; they were already slaves, and the kingdom of Judah remained in control of Jerusalem and surrounding cities. And um, for another, you know, whatever it was, 150 years after the Israelites were taken, now they're getting taken by the Babylonians. And this happened around 600 B.C. And so there wasn't an Israel then, or a Judah or Judea or whatever? Yep, that would have been Judah. This would have been what people, people say Jews when they're talking about the kingdom of Judah. So then when was the next time there was an Israel? Uh, never was. Up until, I guess, then they said 1948. Uh, well, that would be, if that's legitimate at all, that would still be just the kingdom of Judah, not the Israelites. Right. Um, because, you know, that's what they're claiming to be of descendants of, of Judah, not Israel. But um, So this was like the final fall of God's mm -hmm. people. Right. And why I think it's such, I mean, you look at the parallels between America is one, you know, started out as one nation under God. Ancient Israel, ancient Judah started out as one nation under God, right? Um, it's the same thing. I mean, they, they fell away into idolatry and uh, were punished and destroyed for that. Now America is doing the exact same thing. And um, that's why I think these parallels are so so, you know, tightly knit. So was it after this that the, they scattered and the, the lost tribes scattered and basically, um, is that where, no, I'm confusing myself again. But. The 10 lost tribes would have been scattered uh, in the Assyrian captivity. That's where the majority would have been scattered. And they basically lost their identity. They totally forgot who they were. And that's why we talk about America actually being, you know, the Caucasian, they went over north over the Caucasus Mountains after the Assyrian captivity, and they were called Caucasians. Then obviously they spread throughout Europe and then to America. But they didn't call themselves Israelites anymore. But the children of the kingdom of Judah, most of them uh, did, at least up until the time of Christ, remember who they were. You know, because possible there they were. This seems like they were more righteous then than the Israelites. Yes, the, yeah. Uh, God actually spared Judah and punished Israel because Judah was more righteous than Israel at that time. But they're still Jews. All of them are Jews. Uh, no, that's actually that's that's what everybody. That's the that's the strangest thing that that goes on today. Everybody tries to say that is 
they tried to call the Israelites Jews, but the Israelites were never Jews, ever. They were always just Israelites. Um, but the Jew, Judea, Judeans or whatever were Jews. Well, in fact, there's actually a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that talks about the house of Judah and the house of Israel being united into one stick again. That's not, they had that civil war. They were split into two kingdoms, and Israel was taken into captivity. But they've never been rejoined together, back together. So that's still yet to happen. So I'm just ultimately I'm trying to get to the point that you know the ten lost tribes are then you're saying were from Israel. Well, who's say that, that the, the Judeans, if that's the right way to call them, if they're are they part of the ten lost tribes, or is that a whole different crew? I mean, how do you know who? How do we know who came? Yeah, that to America, or does it even matter? No, that's a great question. In fact, actually, I um, it wasn't completely accurate what I said there. A lot of the children of Judah were actually taken into captivity during the Assyrian captivity, but a good portion of Judah was able to withstand the Assyrian invasions. And uh, they remained in they remained in control of Jerusalem and some surrounding cities, but there were a number of cities of Judah that did get taken into captivity in Assyria. Um, that's not commonly known, but that is because uh, we, we we most of the time when I say that I'm generalizing, but so yeah, there are a lot of people that were of the tribe of Judah that lost their identity as well, and. Didn't even know that, you know, after they became Caucasians, called Caucasians, they just thought they were Europeans. Yeah, I just never really put two and two together on that. That's interesting. Well, and, and so you have, you basically, during the time of Christ, you still only had a remnant of Judah that returned to Jerusalem to rebuild after all this great destruction we're reading about. Um, and then many of them had become mixed with the heathen. So, uh, and many of them never came back, and so forth. So it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, takes some studying into. Well, hopefully God will judge our country state by state, you know. <laughs> but I, I actually believe, this is my belief, I believe that uh, when America was founded, uh, Judah and Israel were joined together into this nation. Um, as the you know the end times nation of Israel, but not uh, not complete. You know, I, I think it was a type because when that comes to pass in the book of Ezekiel, that'll be when Jesus returns, and then er, the, all of his people are joined back together. Um, Were they considered enemies for a while. Mm-hmm. Were they even yeah. after the Civil War? Yeah. Yeah, fierce enemies. Okay. Yeah, they did not get along. There was no, I don't think there was ever any peace between them after the Civil War. Yep. I know there was a, in the book of like Kings and Chronicles, I think there's a lot of battles between the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel recorded there. Which one was better in God's eyes? Well, Israel was fell into idolatry way worse than Judah did. Um, they really liked the ways of the heathen. I don't know why, but <laughs> they did. But then Judah did do the same thing. In fact, there's actually a, um, 
a couple chapters, at least one chapter, God calls Israel and Judah harlots. He calls one Aholaba, Ahola and Aholaba. And I can't remember what exactly what those names mean, but they were sisters that became harlots. And he likened that uh, he likened that to Israel and Judah. Um uh, the only other thing, uh, whether it's work, it's just it just came to my mind, and, and uh, not trying to justify anything, but the uh, the NFL, to their credit, even though uh, they're definitely doing the you know some kneel, some stand, some lock arms, some have a big banner that say. Some don't even come out on the field. Some don't come out on the field, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because <laughs> right. at least now it doesn't give them a chance to protest. Right. But they didn't, at least from what I saw. I watched, you know, a fair amount of games and stuff and the intros and all that. They didn't say or even have written anywhere Black Lives Matter. They had this m different message of unity and... And again, it's all still under that same umbrella of, oh, we're a horrible, racist nation, which is the part that gets me. Yeah. Police brutality is one thing, which is relatively little in the greatest yeah. kind of thing. But the bigger thing is that they're, they're claiming that we're just this racist nation, and it's not even close to being the truth. But that, that's aside the point. Um, they, and on this field, they put something along the lines of, it takes all of us or something. Um, but they never really did push or say Black Lives Matter much at all. And their little, their little side, little montages of, you know, black people doing things and talking about things. It, you know, it was just more of a, again, we, we need to come together and not be racist. So, I don't know, to their credit, that kind of is to their credit, because Black Lives Matter, the, the corporation, is evil, and like yeah. the NBA it's all in on Black Lives Matter. And, uh, so. No, I know the Vikings, uh, they did a whole memorial for, I think your yeah. mom actually posted it. Yeah, they, uh, they George uh, Floyd. honored George Floyd's family. They, they yeah. had him up on the thing and to not blow the horn, you know, like yeah. the first time they silenced the horn. Which, again, it's all under that same umbrella, but I'm just saying to their credit, they weren't pushing Black Lives Matter. Well, I think... They are, you know, I think they want to go along with it as much as they can. Yeah. But they're losing, they know they're losing huge numbers. Right. So I think they're going to, yeah, they're going to try to somehow, you know, make it look like they're meeting us halfway or something right. like that. You and, know, <laughs> it'll be another thing to see if they continue it. Yeah. Like I'll give them a little leeway if it's the first week. And they gotta respond somehow because they feel because the you know, majority of the players or half the players are black, and they feel like this is the biggest thing that's ever happened. But uh, or I might just be justifying that I'm gonna watch the Vikings today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm you know I love hockey, and they started that stuff too, and I'm. But they haven't been that bad either after the first yeah couple times, you know. They don't but do it anymore. I just don't. To be honest with you, I don't see any end in sight with professional sports i think they're going to keep pushing it i think if, if they push too hard they'll back up and then they'll keep doing it and then we'll become desensitized to it yeah, yeah. and that's how they that's how they you know push that stuff nascar is pretty 
but yeah. They haven't been oh, really? Doing or saying anything. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, they they by doing that, they're destroying uh, everything that's good. But like I like I mentioned in the study, though, I mean, it, it did become. It's a good thing. Sports are a good thing. It's it's good entertainment, um, and it's good for youth and kids. And but when it comes to the point where you know ESPN's on your house twenty four seven and you don't yeah, care about no, the Bible, that's that's a, I mean that's how I saw like all the guys my age like that like well even when we're serving in the army a lot of your buddies and stuff it would be like. They're just enamored with like, uh, well, I don't know if it was so much in the army. It was guys I worked with at the print shop. I mean, that's all they ever talked about. Mm -hmm. Weekend come, it was only football, fantasy football. Yeah. That's their happiness. Yeah. Drug, it was like the weekend come, it's just, I'm just going to absorb myself in, in, uh, in, in football. But again, I don't want to sound like a you know, self-righteous, uh, you know, you can't have any fun type of a guy, but man. No, it does, has definitely knocked it down. Even for me, I've never been, like, just a fanatic, but I, I really enjoy it, and I enjoy the break, you know, it yeah. take from watching the game. And, but it has kind of put things in perspective, too, you know. It's just like, uh, the Vikings lose, I'm not like, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. It's like, it's like it's just sport, and they're, you know, they kind of, they have kind of ruined, well, it could be a good thing, like you were saying, you know turn people that are fanatics into not being fanatics anymore, you know, kind of burn them out a little bit. Because like Rush Limbaugh said this week, he said, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he said they're, they wonder why their ratings are dropping and all this, or if they do wonder. It's because when they're saying all these things about, you know, racism and all this stuff, they're pointing to their fans. And saying you're the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. And it's like, well, of course people are going to be, uh, you know. So yeah. hopefully they'll wake up and hopefully they'll they'll just kind of let it go away now. But well, know. you know, it, it is. I mean, you think about what they've been doing for a long time. The the anti-Christian agenda. We say leftists, liberals, whatever. It's all it's all the same thing. They've ta they took over our schools. They've taken over the culture. With Hollywood, they've taken over the music industry, um, and the like. The last bastion was professional sports. That was like the one place that real men could go to get, you know, actually do something kind of manly and normal, and not have to hear all this liberal garbage. Yeah. And now they're taking that. So if they, what they want to do is they want to completely own the culture, so that everything you do is what they want you to. You know, it is uh, anything you do is going to have their influence upon your life. Yeah. You know? That's, that's a fact. And right now, now think about this. Right now, the people that oppose the liberal agenda, um, they were the people that were watching football and stuff. They might not have been very dedicated Christians, but they still did not like liberalism. They still were pro-America. But... There were a lot of people, uh, but they're but they're still in I, many forms of idolatry, and they still, you know what I mean. It, I think about again, like um, you know that woman, uh, God's people described as that woman that was desolate and left empty. I mean, she had all these pleasant things before, and God took them away from her, so now she couldn't sin with those things anymore. Yeah, and now she's left with no choice but to reach back for God. But 
at that point it was too late where he was going to allow her to suffer for a period. Actually, it was, uh, well, yeah, well, it was 70 years in captivity. And then God sort of allowed them to rebuild Jerusalem uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah, but it still was nothing compared to what it, what it had been. That uh, kingdom of Judah was a great kingdom. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you see it, I mean, it's just a natural progression. The things that we delight in, those sins, they're only temporal. They, they eventually, God will take them away from us. Yeah, I mean, you think how many Christians, how much time they spend on sports, viewing it or playing it or whatever, betting on it or... And then how much, compare that to how much time they spend in the Bible or, you know, giving any time to God. Well, think about this, the traditional... And God's a jealous God. The traditional, you know, red-blooded American would get forced to go to the the church with his wife, you know, because his wife wants to go there for the music and all that. And he goes, all right, I'll go. He goes there, and the whole time he's looking at his watch, when does the, when does the football yeah. game start? <laughs> I mean, but you, you can't, in one sense, you can't blame him because the church is not offering anything of real value, not to the man anyways. The woman is getting, because women are more feeling orientated, right? right. Not, not, and this isn't a rule of, uh, you know, all they're not necessarily always thinking, you know, politically and uh, logically, uh, intellectually about, you know, what you know about something. I mean, they do. So don't get me wrong. I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> but the feelings move them, and the churches are designed just to move the wife to get the wife in, and 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 not to think, well, this is good or this is evil or this is good. Just it feels good. This is what we're doing is right, and then bring her husband with. And most of the husbands know that this, I'm bored. This is bored to tears. But you get some men that are real men that actually hear the Bible being taught. It's a totally different thing. Now they'll be the, the one trying to drag the wife with. Hey, you got to come study the Bible. You know, come on. But, Mission Overcomers is brought to you by the tithes and offerings of our listeners. If you would like to support our ministry, please go to ChristianOvercomers.com. God bless you. And thank you for your support. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He is loose the faithful lightning of his terrible sword. His truth is marching on.